Shalom and welcome. It's midnight from Jerusalem. We're going to begin this evening with an announcement. Now, we are expanding in many different ways, and praise God for that. And one of the most recent ways that we've expanded is on a new network throughout the United States. In fact, this network called the Impact Network reaches up to 90 million people in the United States. I've been told that one of the predominant viewership of this network is our African-American friends. Now, we are interested in taking biblical truth, the revelation of Scripture, to as many different individuals as we can, that they might hear the Word of God and that their lives might be eternally changed so that they have as well a praiseworthy testimony. We want to see that with all people, all the nations, languages, people, ethnic groups, everyone, because the Word of God is not a respecter of persons. God's revelation is truth for all of humanity. And we know that ultimately, when we get into the kingdom of God, there is going to be representatives of all nations, every ethnic group, every language, because the message of God's grace is most inclusive. Every sinner is invited to receive it. And with that message of grace comes forgiveness, justification, salvation, and being declared righteous by God through the blood of his Son, that all people might be welcomed into God's kingdom through faith in that gospel message. So be praying for our work and our desire to reach more and more individuals. I also want to say how grateful I am for the many people, those who work with us in a formal way, those who volunteer. Both groups are very significant to us in helping us do exactly what we believe the Lord has placed upon our hearts to do. So we're grateful and thankful for so many of you who partner with us, whether it's in a formal way, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through your generosity, or whether it's through joint service together. Praise God for how he puts things together. Well, we're going to move now into the book of Psalms for our call to worship and Psalm 41. Look with me, if you would, to the very last verse of this psalm. Psalm 41, in most languages, it's the 13th verse. In Hebrew, it's actually the 14th. But just so you know, the last verse of this psalm, where it says, Baruch Hashem, Elohei Yisrael, Me'olam ve'ad olam, Amen ve'amen, which means, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel. And then we have an expression, the word ha-olam. Now, this word can mean all of time or all of creation, meaning this world, universe. But what we see here is a change from this world until the world that's coming. So it speaks about this present reality until the establishment of the kingdom of God. Once more, I'll read this. Baruch Hashem Elohei Yisrael, Meha Olam Ve'ad Ha'olam, Amen Ve'Amen. 
God encourages us to realize that he is Lord and there is no other. Now let's turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 for, of course, the reading of the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, beginning with verse 4, where we read, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. V'yahavta et Adonai Elohecha, v'kol levavcha u'v'kol nafshecha u'v'kol meodecha. V'hayu hadvarim ha'ele asher, anoki mitzvacha hayom al levavcha. V'shinanetam levanecha, v'debartem bam, v'shiftecha, v'vetecha u'vlechtecha v'derek u'shakbecha u'komecha. Ukshartam le ot al yadecha, vehayu le totefot benanecha, uftartam al mezazopetecha, uvisharecha. And now let us move into a time of prayer. O Lord our God, God of our fathers, God of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, God of our Messiah, Lord, we come before you with words of thanksgiving and praise knowing that your love for us is a perfect love. And we thank you that through your grace that we can become recipients of that love. We are grateful to you that you have offered us forgiveness and redemption through the blood of your only begotten Son. And Father, we want to walk with you, serve you, bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we pray for, for your presence throughout this world. We know that you are sovereign. We know that you are omniscient and omnipresent, that you know all things and that you are in all places. But Father God, we pray for those who are, are hurting tonight, who are recipients of, of violence and injustice. We pray especially for, for the believers in Afghanistan and all people there. We know how violent and dangerous it is in an increasing number of places, localities throughout this world are becoming more dangerous, more threatening, more ungodly, more examples of injustice. So Lord, we know the solution is your truth. We know the power to bring about change is not found in, in humanity, but in your spirit. And Lord God, we pray for a mighty outpouring, anointing upon your people, those who have come to know you through that new covenant, that we might be used to bring indeed change into people's heart. Lord, we know that, that this world is changing. We know that it's going to get darker, there's going to be more injustice, more unrighteousness. And Father, as the world gets darker, we pray that our light, the light of the anointing of your spirit, might be, be more powerfully seen in our life and through our life. Lord, we pray for those who are sick. We pray especially for our, our friend Phil Harris, who is struggling with, with cancer. We pray healing for him and for the numerous other people that we each of us know that have some sickness, some disease, some struggle, whether it be emotionally, physically, whatever it might be, we pray for your healing and your comfort to be upon them. We know, God, that you are a God of, 
compassion and that you, as your word says, are indeed that, that great physician. So Lord, we look to you and we intercede at this time for those who are indeed suffering. Whatever the source of that suffering is, we pray against that. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to injustice and hurting around us, that we might be a source of healing, that we might be a source of comfort, that we may be a source of, of financial assistance. Whatever it may be, use us. We know, God, that you ultimately are the ones who, one who does the, the good work. But, Father, use us. We want to be individuals that are your faithful vessels. So, Father God, open up our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our ears that we might have discernment and that we might move in the directions that you would have us to go, that we might do the things that you command us to do, that we would become indeed the salt of the earth, the light of the world, that we would be your, your people in the midst of trying times. All these things, Lord, we pray in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. We are coming to the end of the book of Esther. We have a few verses left in chapter 9, and then we go into that final chapter, a rather brief chapter, chapter 10. And we're going to begin this evening by reiterating what we have learned. And that is under the leadership of Queen Esther and Mordecai that there was an additional edict that went forth. Not just the additional one that was in contradiction to Haman's edict, but even an additional one that reminded the Jewish communities to take vengeance upon those who wanted to do to them evil that God's justice, that his power, that his favor upon his covenant people might be seen by, by all the residents of this empire, that God's power might be acknowledged through the deliverance, through the victory, and that there might be a change in this empire where under Haman's leadership, it was heading for judgment and destruction, but now, under Mordecai's leadership, there would be an opportunity for God to bless this nation, bless the inhabitants of this empire. What we see is this, that men of God and women of God, when we, even if there's just a few of us, when we submit to God's truth, when we walk in his ways, when we speak his word, changes happen, godly changes. And this is what we're going to encounter tonight in this study. So join me, take out your Bible, and look with me to the book of Esther and chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 29. Now, it says here that Esther the queen, the daughter of Avichal, and Mordecai the Jew. Now, your Bible will say, wrote. And this is true, but what's interesting is this, that the verb for writing in this, this verse is in the third person singular feminine. Now, even though from the construction of the sentence, 
we see that it's Queen Esther, the daughter of Avichail, and also Mordecai. Both of them are doing this. It's under both of their authorities, which the king has given to them. But yet, it only says in the text, the grammar only emphasizes Queen Esther. And why is this? Well, I hope you know the answer by now. It's emphasizing Esther, the woman. And whenever there is an emphasis, a preference upon a woman in a biblical text, it, it hints towards redemption. And ultimately, redemption brings change. And as we prayed a moment ago, it brings a God-pleasing change. So if you've experienced the redemption of our Lord and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, there ought to be, if you are listening to him, if you are submitting to him, if you are thinking properly according to his revelation, then his redemption in your life is going to bring about a God-pleasing change. And this is what is going to be revealed. So look again at our text, verse 29, where it says, And Esther the queen, the daughter of Avichail, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote. But here again, it's only Esther which being, being emphasized with this word, va-tiktof. Esther the queen wrote that what? That all, and this is the word tokif, which is that which is valid. So she's speaking about the validity of this edict that's going forth. Let's read it again. Esther the queen, the daughter of Avichal, and Mordecai the Jew wrote, but the emphasis is upon her wrote all the validity to confirm this letter. What letter? Letter of the days of Purim. And then we have the second. Now, this second means the second Egeret, the second epistle letter that went forth in regard to keeping this festival. We see last week that this time known as Purim has to do with a time of significance that God commands, don't forget, don't ignore. All those who are the seed of a covenant family, they're supposed to remember this time. So she writes, Mordecai's with her, but she's the primary author. And she writes that all validity to confirm this egeret, egeret is the Hebrew word for epistle or letter, of, of this, this time of Purim. And we're talking about the second letter that went out, reminding the people to celebrate at the proper time. Look at verse 30. And these letters, literally it says, and he sent. Now here, the one who's sending it is Mordecai. So we see unity, but we see equality, but a different role, a different purpose. Verse 29 emphasizes that it's Esther the queen that wrote this letter concerning Purim. But we find that Mordecai, what did he do? Look at verse 30, it says, And he sent 
this document, and it's in the plural documents, and it's a different word from Egeret, letter to Sepharim, which is normally thought of as books, but in this context, it's edicts or, or documents to all the Jewish people, to the 127 countries or provenances of, 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 royal, of the royal empire of Ahasuerus. And these, these edicts that went forth, notice it says that they contain words of peace and truth. And I would underscore that for a very important reason. And that is, it's only peace. And what is peace? The fulfillment of God's will. And the only way that one can know God's will, what's the last word in the text? The word truth. So here's the takeaway for us. Unless we know the truth of God, we cannot be peacemakers. Just that simple. And this is a very profound biblical truth. Unless I am submitted to understanding and submitting to the truth of God, I cannot be a peacemaker. I cannot bring about a change that is going to be pleasing to God, that, that manifests the outcome of the fulfillment of his will. You see, when God's will is fulfilled, there's a good outcome. And this is what we should be seeking. And what this verse tells us is this. Unless we are the recipients of his truth, this good outcome is an impossibility. Now verse 30. We have the word lekayem. Now lekayem can be in the sense to, to do, to confirm, to, to achieve something. To make something come into to validity, into action that it's carried out. So here, this letter who went forth, it's all for the purpose of putting it into action. So we read in verse 31, to, to confirm, we might say, the days of, these days of Purim, and also in their time. Now, this tells us something. Now, I believe a few of the English translations talk about their appointed time the word appointed is not there, but it's understood within the context. The word zman is time. But not just time in a general sense, but time in a specific way. So that these days of Purim, that they be kept, that they be done, that they be carried out, that they are confirmed in the manner that God has instructed, commanded the community, that they be done so, in their time, in their proper amounted allotment of time. So to do it properly. And then it says, just as, and we see here, it was confirmed upon them, meaning that, that Mordecai and Esther, as they submitted to these things, as they carried them out the days of Purim, also that it would be Mordecai, the Jew, and Esther, the queen, just as they carry them out concerning their life, it goes on to say, also upon their seed. And the words of fasting, and fasting here is in the plural, and also crying out their cry. So we are to remind, be reminded, not just 
are we supposed to have that banquet of joy and gladness and also to send gifts to one another and donations to the poor? The word evionim, those who are in a very destitute situation, those who have just the very basic, even if not that, in their life, a meager existence to do something, to celebrate by remembering God bringing change, a good change, a righteous change. That which was against his will was defeated, and now the opportunity to bring shalom, and why do I say bring shalom? In order to bring about the fulfillment of the purpose, of the will, of the instructions of God. So these days were supposed to be fulfilled, carried out, confirmed, maintained. It says here, in their, in their time, and in their, their proper observance. And it says that Mordecai and Esther, Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen, just as they confirmed them or kept them or carried them out concerning their life, also for their seed, and they were words. Notice this. Hatsomot ve zakatam. Words of fastings and crying out their cries so all of this is important it teaches us what god expects us to do during this observance now look at the last verse of chapter 9 where it says and the message now this is the hebrew word mamar the word amar means he spoke but we have an additional letter in front of it which changes the verb into a noun most of the time in modern Hebrew, this word mamar means an article, something that was written, something that was said. And so it's this proclamation, this decree, we might say, from Esther. It literally says, mamar Esther, the decree of Esther. It was, was kept. The words of these days of Purim, and they were written in the book. And we'll talk about what book in a moment. But we're going to see that even though, in one sense, you might think that this observance of Purim is for the Jewish people, there's going to be two things. One, we've already seen. We saw a few weeks ago that, that this festival, the banquet and such, was just not celebrated by, by the Jewish people. But it talked about how there were many among the Gentiles that they did something. What did they do? They, they determined to join the Jewish community, to be like them. And they, they presented themselves in that manner. Last week, we saw a very important word that they joined with them. And therefore, we see a principle. The revelation that God gave to the Jewish people it also had a relevance and a change upon many of the Gentiles in this empire. And this is going to be shown in a very clear way in a moment. Look now to, to our last chapter, chapter 10. We read here, And the king, Ahasuerus, he placed mas. Now, the Hebrew word mas is a tax. Some of the, the older translations will use the term tribute. 
simply an old word for taxation. Now, we need to understand what's happening. This verse in chapter 10, verse 1, tells us of the prosperity that this kingdom was now being blessed. Now, I made mention to you weeks ago, if not months ago, concerning the word E. The Hebrew word E is a word for island. We see it in the plural in the scripture. And this has to do with the isles of the sea, and it speaks about the, the outermost places, those places that are not uh, uh, populated in a large way, and they are very remote. Now, I shared with you weeks ago that by and large, what would happen would be this. Because these places were far away from the capital, and because they were sparsely populated, it didn't make sense for, for people to go and collect taxes from these individuals. But because of the change, a righteous change, and righteous changes brings blessing. In this context, it brings about, and hear this term, a godly prosperity. We see that under the leadership of Mordecai and Esther, this empire became very prosperous, wealthy. And even though on these islands they were far away, it would take time and effort and money, resources to get there. And there weren't many people there, but because of the great wealth that, that came about because of Mordecai's leadership, it made it worthwhile to collect taxes from these far remote and sparsely populated places. And this is what verse 1 is telling us. Look again at chapter 10 and verse 1 where it says, And King Ahasuerosh placed tax upon the land. And here the land means the earth. Over all the places that his empire was. It reached far away, we learn, all the way from India to Ethiopia. In Hebrew, mehodu ad kush. So a massive amount of land. And then it says at the end, iye hayam, which means, and unto the remote places, the, the islands of the sea. So it would take time, effort, great distance to go to all of these islands far away. But they went there. And we see that everyone participate everyone was paying tax because they had been blessed it was an acknowledgement of the the godly leadership the righteous leadership of this empire and now the scripture is going to tell us why this change came about what was the source of it we'll look now to verse verse two veho mase takpo ugdivrato Uparashat Gdulat Mordechai. Now, I said this in Hebrew first because we need to pay attention to the words. It says, and every deed. And then we have the word for, for validity again. For authority. All the deed, every deed, and authority, and might, and it speaks about his authority, his might. 
It's a reference to the king's ability that was done through. Well, keep reading because here's the source of it. It says, Ufar shut gdulat mordecha. And the matter that had to do with the greatness of who? Mordecai. Now we see that the empire of Ahasuerosh was blessed. It was prosperous. But it all came about because of every deed and, and authority that Mordecai possessed, every matter that was concerning him, his greatness. This is what brought it about. Which, and now we see something else. We see the same expression. Going back early in this book of Esther, it says the king promoted Haman. And he was able to do his plan, put into force what he wanted. But it was not successful. It did not fulfill his objective. But, but with Mordecai, when Mordecai was promoted, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, but when he was promoted by the king, it says, are not these things written concerning the book? What book in this word? It's the general word for book, but in this case, it has the sense of the volumes or the annuals of history because we have the expression, divrei hayamim. Now, for most of you, that expression, divrei hayamim, means nothing. But in Hebrew, it's the name of the book of Chronicles. Divrei Hayamim Aleph, the first book of Chronicles. Divrei Hayamim Bet, the second book of Chronicles. But this is not referring to the biblical book of Chronicles. But if you keep reading, it says here that all of these things were written down. The king pro promoting of, of Mordecai, every act that he did, his greatness, his might, is it not all written down? Literally, it says, surely they are written concerning the book of Chronicles of the kings of the Medes and the Persians. Now, this has significant implications because it's speaking about all of this revelation, this change that came about, all the history that took place because of Mordecai, the godly changes that he brought about. All of these things, they were written down where? In the historical annuals. That's what divrei hayamim, words of the days. That's literally what, what the term divrei hayamim, the spoken things during the days. What people talk about, the historical occurrences. They were all written down, not just in the book of Esther, but also in the historical writings of the kings of the Medes and the Persians. Now, this represented an empire, a vast empire that spread throughout the world. And what this tells the reader loudly is that these events have significance for all people. Now, I want to pause for a moment to share with you something. It is a wise thing. It is spiritually correct. It is scripturally correct as well. For all of God's people, if you have a covenantal relationship with God, especially 
a new covenant relationship with God through Messiah Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, then you should be acknowledging Purim. It is very proper. It is very good for when these, these days surface on the calendar that every God fear, they would pause, they would fast on the 13th day of Adar, and then they would read on the next day the book of Esther, studying it, reading it carefully, and then having a celebration. And this celebration is not a celebration of fleshly things, but of spiritual things. Celebrating the fact that God, remember that word, la folk, that God overturned things. And the message is this, why it's so beneficiary for us. First of all, God commands it in this book. Secondly, the message of it is very important. Because there's times and circumstances in your life and my life when we need God to turn things over, to bring about a great change, to destroy certain things and to bring about new and different things. And this is what we learned in the book of Esther. So it's not by accident that the Spirit of God sovereignly wrote down through the author of this book, wrote down the fact that it was written in the historical writings of the kings of the Medes and the Persian. It was written down because it has significance. Significance for all people, especially God-fearing people in a covenantal relationship with him. And I'll move to verse 3. Verse 3 is our last, last verse of this book of Esther. And notice what it says, for Mordecai the Jew. Now over and over and over in what we've read tonight, but throughout the book of Esther, when Mordecai is spoken of more often than not, the vast majority of time he's spoken of as Mordecai the Jew. And this is to remind all the people that there is a special relationship it's called a covenant between the Jewish people and God. And Mordecai is an example of how to respond in this covenant, with this covenant, through this covenant, and be a godly servant. To stand up and bear witness, this is what Mordecai did, risking his life. We know that Haman, because Mordecai knew, it's not appropriate for me to bow the knee and pay homage, that is a, a type of worship, to a man, to a creation. No, worship goes to the creator and the Lord and Savior. And therefore, what we see is that it says, look at verse 3, for Mordecai the Jew, he was second to the king, Ahasuerosh. Now, we're talking about an empire. And I've mentioned to you that Mordecai is a typology for Messiah. And even though we know that for much, and I want to underscore this, we know for most of this book of Esther, Ahasuerus was not a godly man, was not a good leader, that he subjected himself to a wicked individual, 
Haman. But, but in the latter part of this book, we see that there is a change. And we see that there is a king. And this king puts in power, gives authority to Mordecai. And this foreshadows. It tells the reader that in the end, that the real king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Lord God Almighty, is going to put his son, appoint his son to be the king over his kingdom. And that's why it says, verse 3, for Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerosh, and he was great unto the Jews. Now, what this means is that he was a, a great influence, a source of greatness. He brought about, through his influence, his actions, his leadership, he brought about great change for the Jewish people. And this is what Messiah is going to do. If you are a believer now, that's what he's doing in your life. He has an edifying purpose. He wants to build you up. He wants to do great things through you. And he's also going to bring about in the end of this age and coming in primarily to the millennial kingdom, he is going to bring greatness for the Jewish people as they serve and lead. Now, the believers, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Messiah, overseeing. But it's going to be Israel that comes to faith, which are going to be the leaders, the influencers of the millennial kingdom in order to mediate blessing upon the Gentiles who will be, be there as well, that portion, that, that, that remnant of them. So Mordecai the Jew, the second to King Ahasuerosh, and, and he was great for the Jewish people and acceptable to the majority of his brethren. Now, this speaks that always, no matter what group of people you have, you always have some rebels, some that will not submit, some that will not receive, accept what they should. And this is going to be true until the very end. And also we know in the millennial kingdom, in fact, there's just not going to be a remnant of, of dissidents in the millennial kingdom. If you read about the millennial kingdom in the book of Revelation chapter 20, the thing that stands out, the things that, that, that totally mystifies me is that there's going to be a thousand years of righteous, perfect rule by the King of Kings, Messiah himself. He's going to be mediating justice and righteousness and peace. He's going to rule with absolute authority. And those who sin, those who rebel, they will be punished. So there's going to be that testimony of a thousand years. And then Satan has to be released. There's a purpose for it. He's going to go out and tempt and deceive as he always does. This unrepentant one, having spent a thousand years in the prison of darkness, the abyss. What do we know? He's not going to change. And he's going to go out and deceive. Now you would think, see, in my mind, after a thousand years of righteous rule, now no matter when someone's going to be born, and primarily the millennial kingdom are for those who are going to be born in the millennial kingdom. Remember, believers, those who took part in the blessed hope, the rapture, we're going to have a new body. 
We're not going to be procreating. We're not having children. We are ruling and reigning with Messiah. But those who come to faith after the rapture, both of Israel and of the nations, they are going to be under the law for the millennial kingdom. You say, how do you know that? Because Isaiah tells us that it will come about in the last days. And when he says last days, he means indeed the millennial kingdom. And it says, Ki mitzion Torah. From Zion will go forth the Torah. Zion is a kingdom word. During the millennial kingdom, the Torah is going to be once more in force. And people are going to have to submit to it. And God is going to, through his son, administer it perfectly. And those who are born, no matter when they're born, death is going to be scarce. Some say there's no death in the millennial kingdom. I don't accept that because we know that there can be sin in the millennial kingdom. There's going to be offerings for sin. If there's sin, there can be death. But putting that, that issue aside, people are going to live, and everyone agrees with this, a long amount of time. Maybe there won't be death. But when Satan is released, what is shocking is that there's going to be a great multitude, a multitude that's so large it can't even be counted or numbered. That's going to side with Satan and want to rebel against the righteousness of God. This glorious change in the millennial kingdom, it's brought to God's universe. And therefore, we see there's always that, that those rebels. Let's go back. For Mordecai, the Jew, was second to the king, Ahasuerus, and, and was great for the Jewish people, and acceptable to the majority of his brethren. And what was he doing? Well, this is what Messiah is going to be doing. It says here, Doresh Tov Lamol, which means Doresh, to seek. But this is to seek with intensity. He is going to seek good. What is good? I hope you know the answer to that. That word in the Bible, good, relates to the will of God. He is going to seek and secure the will of God for his people. And what is he going to do? He is going to speak shalom. Now, notice something here. We see two words which are parallel. Now, let's just take a test. Look, if you would, to that last verse before we wrap up in a moment. Look at the last verse, back the last sentence. It says, Doresh tov le'amo. Which means he seeks intensely. Good. What's that? The will for his people. God's will for his people. And he speaks shalom. What two words are, are parallel? Well, we have the word tov and shalom. And this tells us we can only have shalom in the fullest sense when we are in God's will. And then what else is parallel is the word le'amo, for his people. And then it says, and for all of his seed. Now, this is telling us that the ones who are going to experience peace, the fulfillment of God's will, that's what shalom is. I want to say that again. Shalom is the fulfillment of the will of God. The ones who are going to experience that is the seed. Now here it's a seed of Mordecai, but we know Mordecai is a typology for Messiah. So it's the seed of Messiah. Now Messiah is the seed of Abraham, but our 
are us who are followers. We are his followers. We are the seed of Messiah, the offspring. We are brought into his family, a kingdom family, a kingdom people. So let me conclude by saying this. We see such revelation concerning not just what was, all of this is historically accurate, but it, it lays the foundation to teach us about a future, a future that is going to take place in the last days. Well, I'll close with that. Until next week, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel.